I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Amy Silvis. Amy is the founder and principal of Silvis Capital, a real estate firm that invests in large commercial real estate properties in emerging markets throughout the U.S. Um, I, I also know Amy as a LinkedIn ninja and superstar and have learned so much from her. Uh, and I, as I said before we started recording, I'm, I'm really excited for this. So first, let me just say thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to come on the show. Oh, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. I am so excited to be here and to find out that we're neighbors closer than I realized. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, we, we someday we can do a, do a live episode. But um, I, I want to just start, I, I want you to tell your story. I know you have a, a really interesting background. Um, and so I'd, I'd love to hear a bit about your past, you know, kind of what got you into real estate. And, and then we'll also get into what you're doing now. Sure. So how how far back would you like me to go? How detailed? You you tell me. I don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. Long. Wherever, whatever you're comfortable with, because I I think you know in this show for me is is really about people's story and their you know yeah. their motivation and kind of what pushed them into success. And so whatever part you feel applies to that, please whatever you're you're open to. Okay. Cool. Let's roll. Well, I am Amy Silvis. I'm out here in Los Angeles, California, more specifically Pasadena with my husband and my very large Irish Catholic external uh, extended family. Uh, we roll we roll deep for sure. Um, and I am 42 years old. I know it's not common for women to celebrate maybe their age as, as they go along. But when I was born in 1981, I was diagnosed with an illness called cystic fibrosis. For those who may not know what that is, it is a genetic condition where way back in the 80s, uh, there was no such thing as genetic testing. So my parents were silent carriers. They had no idea. Thank God no one else in my family has the illness, but it's essentially characterized as gradual lung deterioration over time. Think of maybe slower COVID, uh, if you will. And my parents were told I would live to be eight or nine years old at the maximum. So um, I was born out in Glendale and treated for cystic fibrosis in, um, at CHLA Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. So growing up, I had this chronic insidious cough. Um, I had to do, and I still do, hours and hours of breathing treatments every day in hopes to kind of combat um, some of the characteristics of the illness to keep my lungs healthy. Um, and I was in and out of the hospital with very virulent lung infections that couldn't be treated with pill antibiotics. I had to receive two weeks or three weeks of intravenous antibiotics. So as you can imagine, that really shaped uh, my childhood and my young adulthood of, you know, I wasn't like everyone else I grew up with. I, I felt like I was in many senses, but attending class uh, and school was, um, was a luxury. It wasn't something I always got to do because I was in the hospital and, um, 
I knew a lot of people with the illness out here in LA. So I understood from a very young age what my prognosis was. Um, as the years went on, uh, you know, I got to high school, defying the odds. I got to college, defying the odds. I got my first full-time job in biotech of all things. It was really interesting to me. I bet you can imagine why. Um, but I knew in the back of my head that my ability to trade my time for money would very likely, statistically speaking, come to an abrupt end as I gradually lost lung function and spent more and more time in the hospital. And as a really independent person and with a lot of empathy towards my family who had sacrificed so much to raise a disabled child that was you know, terminally ill, the last thing I wanted to do was to have to turn to them to ask for money and support if and when my health deteriorated. So I was on this relentless pursuit to figure out this math equation of one day I may need a lung transplant, one day I may be simply too sick to, to work. How am I gonna pay my bills when I'm too sick? I thought getting an MBA was the answer. So I went off and got my MBA and just thought stockpiling money from my salary job in biotech was the answer and hoping beyond hope that that money would be enough and I'd be able to scrimp and save and all that. And thankfully, a few weeks after actually I graduated with my MBA, I came upon that book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that I think we, we've we all heard of. And this light bulb went off. This middle-class uh, lady finally understood the concept of passive income and everything changed. I felt so relieved that I could generate money and support myself, not be a burden on my family. They'd kill me if they heard me say that, but that's really what I was worried about. I could generate passive income and support myself through investing in real estate. So I'll take a big deep breath there because I know that's a, a lot of a lot of details about myself, but that's kind of how I how I stumbled upon this concept of real estate investing. Sure. And and thank you for for sharing that backstory. Yeah. I think um it, it's it's inspirational. It's also, you know, I, I think uh in a way like um I don't know if warning's the right word, but but you know, we should all think to some degree, you know, our time is not guaranteed. Our our time is we 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 don't know, right? And and you've been very fortunate to defy the odds. And some people, you know, there, there's always that like, oh, that we lost someone too soon or what, you know, it but at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know what the the time we have on the earth is. And so using that the knowledge, that knowledge of not knowing to make the best of what time we do have, I think is like an incredibly important concept to sort of kick this podcast episode off with. So um, it it is it is really something that the more, I guess the older I get, I have kids now, like the the, the more I think about time and like, you know, I think so at some point you're you look at the value of you know that money's the most valuable thing but i mean really it, it has shifted very much how i how i look at that in terms of what what's the most important so you read rich pad rich dad poor dad you think okay look i want to i want to get into real estate this book makes a lot of sense what did what did you do what did you do to get started you know what were your first steps that's a really good one so i my first step was to get into a coaching program. Um, 
I was balancing already two full-time jobs, the home care, the breathing treatments, dealing with cystic fibrosis, I considered to be a full-time job. I was in biotech. That was another full-time job. And I was somehow trying to, you know, take on this third uh, full-time job or side hustle. But yeah, jumped into coaching because, you know, living in LA, I didn't even have my own home that, you know, that I occupied. I've always been a renter, even though my dad is a, uh, does seismic retrofitting out here in Los Angeles. I just didn't have much of a real estate kind of understanding or background. Uh, so the coaching and having, you know, being able to learn to be an expert in this field was something I was, uh, I had to do. Yeah. And so you did a mentorship. It was it, I guess, what was the focus of that? Because there are, there are a lot of mentorships out there, you know, some are focused on acquisitions, some on capital raising, some on asset management, some are sort of supposed to be full, you know, <laughs> full cycle of everything. But, but yeah. what did you, what, what did you look at? What did, what appealed to you? What, what was kind of the, the, the starting point? I was the typical person that went with, it was actually a Robert Kiyosaki branded program. This was back in 2010, maybe 2009. Yeah. 2010, some, somewhere around there. I'm sure it was white labeled and, you know, whatever, whatever that was, but it was really focused on acquisition, underwriting and figuring out how to find a deal. Um, and there wasn't much as there really isn't in many programs, asset management, um, kind of capital raising was friends and family, you know, this is how you can present this to people, right. but it really was a 101 apartments, 101, um, how to evaluate what to look for all of those good things. Okay. And then what, what's, so this was 2010. So you, I mean, this wasn't long after the, uh, the recession. Right. Um, what did you maybe talk about your first deal or your first steps as far as kind of actually putting that teachings from the mentorship program into action? Sure. It took me 10 years before I got my first deal. <laughs> I became increasingly ill, unfortunately, and just didn't have the bandwidth to even manage uh, my regular W-2, let alone a side hustle of real estate. So I was actually under contract in Phoenix, Arizona, like a good LA investor, right? Where do you go? You don't want to invest in LA. Close to home. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Vegas, yeah. Phoenix, right? The, the, the Yeah. So so um, I contract several different times. Uh, fortunately, they fell through because I was not prepared um, over that 10-year period of time. So um, yeah, it took me quite a while. And it wasn't until I, I passively invested because I realized my capacity, my ability uh, to, to start this business, and it really is a business, uh, was incredibly limited. So I took some of that stockpile of cash that I had been saving for uh, my rainy health day, if you will, and passively invested to get to know the industry uh, because that was the best I was able to, to do at the time. Yeah. I then enrolled in another mentoring program. After that, knowing I had to get an even deeper dive and knowing that a life-changing cystic fibrosis medication was currently going through FDA review and there was a big chance that I might get my health back. So I went all in. Awesome. And it, I would say you know, the point about passively investing because you didn't have the capacity to do it actively at that time, it's not a bad piece of advice for, for anyone looking get, to get started to, to start as a passive investor, kind of to get your feet wet, see how the process goes, maybe connect with other people that are 
doing it actively and have them, uh, you know, they, they may not end up as a mentor, but but a colleague within the space and potentially someone who is, uh, you know, that beacon of, okay, I'm seeing them do it. How do I, you know, and you can learn what you like about their process, maybe what you don't like about their process and apply it to your own as, as you move into the active space. Yes, it was a huge stepping stone. And, you know, I did it out of, you know, I really didn't have any other choice that I felt because I didn't have the ability to, to be an active investor. But my gosh, looking back and what I tell other people that are looking to get into this space, it's a great education. Learn while you earn, if you will, yeah. or earn while you learn, uh, you know, especially if you choose great, great syndicators that have experience and maybe even are willing to let you, uh, you know, ask them some questions along the way. So I am really, really grateful for that experience. And I think has shaped me as a syndicator uh, all these many years later. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, and, and myself too, I, I started passively investing first and it was just the same. It was that, okay, I want to see how this works. I want to see the process of someone else, you know, what are they doing? And it definitely then impacts what, what you do as you become more active. So how did you then kind of make that transition? So you went from passive and now you said you decide, okay, I'm, I'm, I have uh, better health to look forward to. That's clearly very exciting and, and, uh, and, yes. and motivating. So what did you do, you know, sort of to, to take those next steps into the active realm? Yeah. So once again, the uh, universe or God or whatever you want to say, kind of forced my hand in 2017. Unfortunately, I was far too sick to work any longer. And that time that I dreaded for so many decades came where I had to medically retire from my biotech job in 2017. Um, I love working. I love keeping busy. So it was, it was a pretty big punch in the gut. Uh, but again, looking back, I'm not sure if I ever would have left the golden handcuffs of my amazing biotech job that I loved. I had a lot of fulfillment, um, but you know, fast, you know, going, going back to that time, I, I had not so great health, but this new drug on the horizon and I had lots of time to just continue my education. So the drug came out at the end of 2019, right before COVID. Uh, um, I had all these passive investments, these people I got to know. Then 2020 came. And as you can imagine, even with better health, having an underlying lung condition, I wasn't out and about a whole lot. So I suddenly had even more time with my great health where I was just locked in my home for probably the better part of a year and a half or two years hitting the pavement, grinding. I had this team that I already got to know because I passively invested with them. Deal flow was coming. There were no longer kind of these distance uh, concerns with brokers and some of the target markets I wanted because everyone was networking and keeping in touch over the phone and Zoom. So again, it's just this repetition of kind of these tough times or what might appear to be tough times, but ended up being you know a great way to just harness uh, what was going on and, and progress the business forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can take, you can take adversity and, and sort of let it hold you down or you can use yeah. it to your advantage. And you've obviously done that a number of times, but, but you can take, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of bad things happened during COVID, but a lot of people use that time to refocus shift, uh, businesses market you know like the ability to be to work from remote the 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 ability to you know network long distance a lot of those things that that we maybe thought weren't 
available, acceptable, whatever, whatever you want to say, they were, um, they, they became, they came to the forefront and it was like, you, you had to work from home. You had to, you know, figure these things out. What it, <laughs> as it turns out, that's actually pretty good for business in general. And so, you know, it, it changed the way that the world operates in a lot of ways. And so y- you use that time productively. And, and I think, um, you know, hopefully there's not another pandemic anytime soon, but like, I think the lessons here that maybe you can share with us is, is what did you do tactically? Okay, here I am, I'm trapped in my house, but, but I can use this to my advantage. What did you do? Because I know just from, from knowing you and and seeing, you know, you on social media and, and LinkedIn specifically and think like you are very, very good at using those platforms and I think people can gain a lot of value from sort of understanding the the path that you took to kind of utilize those maybe different methods than had been traditional to that point. Yeah. Well, I think I, I, to your point, and I appreciate your very kind words. Uh, I appear on LinkedIn as a person that specializes in investor relations, which is true, but I started off in this industry through acquisitions. So I was an underwriter. I sourced deals. And so I was glued to this very computer uh, and whether it was having Zoom meetings with brokers, with sellers of apartment complexes, my phone was also glued to my ear, networking, finding these deals and then analyzing them on our underwriting template. Um, You know, it is a shots on goal game. And as many people probably remember, (laughs) GDP, I think plummeted by 20% quarter over quarter uh, from Q2 to Q3 of 2020. Unemployment was at 10%. There were a lot of people that were pencils down. You know, there's no way I'm I'm buying anything. There were no vaccines. A lot of syndicators weren't interested in purchasing and we were full throttle. We were going to find good deals and find good deals we did. So um, yeah, it was just a lot of repetition, shots on goal, figuring out who was distressed, who was ready to sell, um, and honing my underwriting skills with my business partners to make sure, you know, we really got great deals for our investors. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I feel like this has been a common theme on, on with guests that I've had on and people that have been through something you know people have been doing it for forever been through 2008 the recession there people that have we've come through covid now now we're in another you know we're (laughs) covid was a sort of remarkably short uh downturn in the in the market but then you know now we're in in another space but i think the the point is that people that don't just stop because things get hard or different or that's who really has success and it's the people that that didn't stop when COVID came did really really well over the next few years. Like I mean, and good for you for for not you know sort of just abandoning ship because it got a little bit scary or or difficult. But you just stick to your fundamentals and kind of push on through. Your so you were at that time you were doing acquisitions and um, are you. Are you still doing acquisitions? What what do, how has it evolved for you? I think a lot of us when we come into, especially that you know, sort of multifamily syndication space, you might start out doing everything, just kind of trying to find your spot, your your seat yeah. at the table, and then you gradually get um, maybe honed into to you know one or maybe multiple. I, I, how how has that journey been for you? 
Yeah, I continue to do acquisitions. I love market research. I love the hunt to find deals. There's something really, really exciting about that. And, uh, you know, a few years into doing that, I couldn't help but tell other people, especially people in California and New York, what I was doing. And I received the feedback, especially on LinkedIn and from other friends and family of, I have always wanted to invest in real estate, but I don't have the time. I've got kids. I've got a full-time successful career. I've got hobbies. I can't source these deals and operate them like you can take my money, you know, help me, help me invest alongside you. So that really kind of happened by accident. And we all know the great Yona Weiss, or if you don't know him, find him on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, but I got looped into one of his challenges and discovered, oh my gosh, it is so rewarding to share information, ideas, content, even failures on LinkedIn for, to educate people, to help people understand you know, what we do. So um, I stumbled upon an investor relations aspect of my business there too. And most of my investors come from LinkedIn and are complete strangers. And I mean, they start off as strangers, obviously I get to know them, but um, that's, that's really how I uh, raise capital for the deals that I find as well. And you said it's a shots on goal game in, in, in you were in reference to finding deals and I, and I, and that's true, right? Like a lot of people say you have to, you know, you have to underwrite a hundred to, to make 10 offers. And then one of those offers might get accepted. And, and, However, you break down the numbers, you know, people, people say now you have to underrate 200, you know what I mean? It, it's just, but would you say the same thing in terms of, you know, finding investors, whether that's through social media or through direct contact or what, you know, it's, I think it's, it's an unreasonable expectation to think that every person you talk to is just going to be like, yeah, that sounds great. Here's my money. So it's, <laughs> what, what do you what is your approach in in terms of like is it a numbers game do you find I, I feel like you could look at it from almost like a shotgun approach or a sniper approach right you're looking for that very specific person how, how do you how do you go about your your you know finding new investors yeah I love that you said that because there are two different ways to go about it right there is kind of this one-on-one -on -one conversation like you and I have which is imperative right I mean you need to know, each of your investors extremely well, you know, from an ethical standpoint, but also the SEC requires it, especially right. for there are laws That's and we don't want to go to jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this one to many where you can get information out to people and educate them uh, and, and, and have interactions with them where you don't necessarily have to be present, like LinkedIn, like social media can really help. You know, I picture a funnel, right? So at the very top of the funnel are the people that are looking at your posts that are maybe watching your webinars you know, ways that you're adding value. And that is really how I think of it. And, it, you know, maybe you've read the book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Um, I have not yet, but I've heard, uh, I've been, I've been recommended it. That's uh, definitely on the list. <laughs> it's a short one. So yeah, yeah, definitely. But I have this really hokey idea and it's, it's lived out for myself that as long as I'm helping people and I'm thinking in, in those terms, I'm going to get enough people in the funnel that are interested in what I'm doing and we can build a relationship from there. But to your point, it is a very long sales cycle. Uh, you know, I don't advertise on social media. I don't pay for those things. I know some people love, you know, to do 506C deals where they can, you know, be public. It takes a lot to get people to invest in deals. They're not going to just see an opportunity and, and run with it. It is a relationship. So I, from my experience, it takes on average eight or nine touches 
for someone to feel comfortable to get on the phone with you and even discuss a deal. So posting on LinkedIn and having great content, for me, I found by the time people get on the phone with me for the very first time before I've even met them, many of them say, Amy, I feel like I already know you. I don't know them. I haven't had a conversation, but it's because there is this presence on LinkedIn where I'm trying my very hardest to add value. So I don't know if I've gone off on a tangent or not, but yeah, it's a long sales cycle. And uh, I wouldn't say shots on goal. I would just say more of a, of a funnel and we gradually refine to see if we're a good mutual fit. That's really, really what it's all about. Yeah. It's a great point. And, and I think the the fact that people say, like, I feel like I already know you and, and, and I feel that, you know, I go to, well, I feel like I know you. And this is the first time that we, I mean, we've talked on LinkedIn right. and things like that, but like yeah. the first time, like we've talked face to face and it's yeah. like, I feel like I know so much about you. And, and it's, it's social media is a, is an interesting thing that way. Cause it's like, you, you know, go to, sometimes I, sometimes I struggle with it. Cause you go to um, a conference or something and I, you might meet someone that is really active on social media. They have a high, you know, high um, or a large following there. And, and you go up and you get the opportunity to meet them and it's exciting. And it, it's almost like, I sometimes feel like it's hard to have a conversation because you already feel like, you know, the answers to the questions you would ask someone that you just met for the first time. Right. Like you're like, yeah. and, and maybe that's just me, but I, you know, it's like to go up in, in something that, they might tell you as part, like you might already know about their kids because you've seen them on social media. You might know yeah. about their pets because you, and it's like, I don't want to be a stalker, but I know you put this stuff up, you know, that kind yes. of thing. So it's an interesting yeah. thing, but, but the reality is, is, is that is really kind of what we're trying to create with uh, social media, maybe with this podcast, with, with anything, trying to let people know us uh, and let us, let them know maybe most importantly, what we're doing like what the concept is here and and what is why they might want to get to talk to you, right? Like what would be that opportunity for them? So what do you tell them? What do you, what do you say, you know, when you're, when someone comes and they come through your funnel and you're there, like, I don't know anything. What, what do you, what do you tell them? How do you describe it? Cause I, I have my own ways, but I'm always interested in what people say to, to investors when they meet them as to describe the process. Yeah. Well, I actually have a webinar I have people watch that describes what we do before they get on the call with me. So I try really hard when I finally talk to people one-on-one -on -one to make it about them. I want to, I mean, obviously they can ask me questions. There are usually some things that they're interested in and getting more clarification, but I try as hard as I can to make the call about them, what they're looking for, what their history has been, what their expectations are, what their risk tolerance is. But let's just say to answer your question directly, I'm at a networking event and someone asks, yeah, hey, what is it that you do? Um, how does this work? It, yeah, it is, you know, the, the real estate syndication is we buy large apartment complexes in emerging markets throughout the US with our investor partners. So we pull that money together and yeah, that's a that's a syndication. Yeah, yeah and it's, uh, it, it's well, I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but, it, but I think a lot of people just don't know what it is, right? So it's right. foreign to them. And so then there's some level of um, fear, it, it, even though they might say, oh, that, that looks like a great opportunity. They just have fear about sort of being a part of it because of that um, it's foreign to them. And I think having the webinar that you can send them and, and be, you know, we've started doing some of that as well. Just like, hey, why don't you look at this? 
that way, when we get on the phone call, I can get into the part about what's important to you more so than you're just asking me the questions like, what is this? Right. So it does, it definitely helps that process. It helps people be, um, at least at the level of comfort where they know what they're talking about. And now they can ask some of the more, uh, the deeper questions behind, you know, the process and, and what goes on. Um, how do you feel about the market right now? Is it, do you find this, uh, more challenging, either from a, a deal standpoint or, or even new investors, what, what are you seeing, you know, in today's, today's market? Yeah. Like you, in terms of finding deals, there's a big spread between what buyers are able to pay given the new debt environment, right? The capital markets and what sellers are are willing to, <laughs> to sell for is yeah. Cost of capital is, is a big deal. So yeah, things have been a little bit more sparse. Doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities. We're we're closing on two deals in Dallas at the end of this month. So they they definitely exist. On the capital raising side, you know, you brought up education and helping people understand. I that's been a really big area of opportunity I've found for our industry really as a whole, um, as investor relations folks are helping people put into context what the media is just blasting at them in terms of the single family housing market and what may or may not happen yeah. there and how single family is not valued the same as multifamily. They don't cycle at the same time. The drivers aren't the same, you know, all of those things are are quite different. So I have seen people quite spooked of, Hey, you know, I'm just going to wait for stuff to crash. And then I want to invest and having conversations of, you know, around kind of some of the assumptions that are, that are in those statements and, and different ways to maybe think about things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, that whole, you know, I'm going to wait for things to crash is, is it, we just talked about in the not very distant past, yes. how, you know, some people did, they, they were waiting for things to crash and the people that didn't wait and got active and, and kept their, you know, sort of process going did extremely well over those next few years. And I think it's, it's, that's the beauty of real estate is it's, it's a, it's just a time, it's a time commitment as much as, or a time investment as much as anything else. It's like, let's get in and, and let time do its thing. And in general, you know, it's, it's going to increase in value. So you have both market cycles. You also have the inherent ability of, you know, sort of your own value add strategies and things like that. Like there's a lot of ways to increase value over time within these complexes and help, uh, help grow everybody's, everybody's, um, uh, investment values within so it is uh it, it when <laughs> it's funny because it's like people sit on the sideline when the when the economy is in a downturn waiting for it to get up but then things get overpriced uh or relatively overpriced in your and then you don't want to buy because it's too overpriced and it, it's just it's 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 yeah. a, at some point you have to decide you know, you, you want to do this, you want to get in the game and recognize that it's, it's a, it's, it's as much a time investment of your money as it is the, the actual money and, and, and realizing that, you know, finding a trusted operator when people invest with you, knowing that, that you've got their, their best interests at heart and you're going to do what is right for, for them in terms of, um, you know, kind of preserving their capital and, and growing their capital and, and, Ultimately, that's what they need to be looking at. Is is that someone that 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 they you know the, the whole mantra about no like and trust? But it, it's is is that person going to do what they say they do? 
Exactly. And I think empowering our investors with education as well. Yeah. You know, what strategies work best during different parts of the market cycle? A lot of my investors are retail folks and they don't necessarily know that there are different strategies that can be deployed at different times. Um, I was having a conversation with an investor last week saying, you know, uh, she said, hey, I see that rents are declining in XYZ market. Why in the world would I buy right now when that's happening and giving an education around, well, if let's just say rents are $1,000 a door for a two bedroom in XYZ market, and we're buying a property where rents are $500 a door, (laughs) that isn't, you know, and helping them connect the dots of, as you said, the value add strategy and you know, we could raise rents to $700 a door, well below the market, uh, and, you know, still up the value of the property tremendously and give our investors a great return. So there's just a lot of nuance. And I think spending time, uh, you know, I know you feel the same way, just giving that education so people can ultimately, you know, I don't sell, I don't think you do either. I just offer opportunities. And when you couple that with the education, people can decide what's best for them. And they often decide they love what we do. Yeah, no, it's 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 exactly true. It's the education is the key piece to this. It, education, awareness, kind of just just getting it out there so people understand what the process is. And and you know, your point about the rents is a great one. You know, the, the people just keep hearing about interest rates and things like that. And it's like you can make all of these individual metrics look like something negative, but really, if you if you dive in deeper, right? So interest rates, you know, whatever they are at, you know, if they say they're Oh, it's seven and eight, and it used to be three. Well, what about a loan act or a loan assumption where you can get, you know, a three percent interest rate in an in a in a high interest rate, high, yeah. high interest rate environment? Or what about the fact that if we buy it now at a seven or eight percent interest rate and it works, and then we refinance to a, and they the rates drop, we refinance to a four percent interest rate later. Guess how much better it works, right? Like it's just like it, it's it's looking, you can't look at it as a snapshot in time. And that's what I was saying. It's really an investment in the time and the fundamentals and in, in understanding where to, to pull those levers. You know, if you have, your rents are low because, you know, the units haven't been renovated for 20 years. Well, guess what? We're going to renovate the units and then we can raise our rents. Like there's a lot of ways to solve those problems that are, are sort of marketed in the media as, as one-off problems, right? But it, it's all it's all just, it's all a piece of the puzzle. And, and at the end of the day, I think as investors and entrepreneurs, we're puzzle solvers uh, at, at heart. That's kind of the main, the main job. So well said, so well said, just math. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just math. Um, well, Amy, I'm going to shift gears. I want to ask you the questions that I get to ask every guest. And as much as I like talking to you, I don't want to keep you all day. Um, it, it is a beautiful day here in Southern California, as it almost always is. So we'll both both uh, save some time to get outside. But um, first question uh, is based on the name of the show being Know Your Why. So so what is your why? What what drives you? Uh, you obviously have a, a very compelling story. Um, so what what keeps you going? You know, in in search of of uh, you know bigger and bigger wins. Sure. So the irony is I have the health now to trade my time for money. I originally got in this space because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to. So um, that obviously I'm incredibly grateful for. But my husband and I have two whys. Uh, The first is my husband grew up uh, in East Los Angeles, the product of after school programs that really 
kept him uh, growing and learning and company after work when or after school when his parents were working. So we are interested in putting charities like the Heart of LA and after school program out of the fundraising business. We want to be able to donate and give so much money that they're able to you know create an endowment be self-sustaining all of those things so um it is a big hairy audacious goal uh but we know the power of real estate the wealth creation and we know what that we're going to be able to do things like that is um to support the community there are also 10 percent of people with cystic fibrosis that do not benefit from this miracle drug that i'm on i think of my dear friend uh, named Emily Kramer Golenkoff. She has an organization called Emily's Entourage, and she's making sure drug development continues in this space so no one with CF is left behind. We also want to bless their pants off with a whole bunch of money so we can find a treatment uh, for those people who are living with the illness so they can live incredible lives and have the hope of a long future uh, like I do. Awesome. Awesome. I love I love impact. I love that's that's like... <laughs> I've said this before on the show, but like when when I went to um, the really the first live conference I went to was was the best ever conference uh, and was what blew me away. I mean, it was great. Lots of great speakers, lots of really successful people. But but what I loved the most was just listening to the investors that had gotten to the point of impact like that that's what that's what they were still working for because you know people people will will put a negative spin on on you know sort of wealth and be like well how you know how much money is 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 enough why why do you need more money and it's like but what you don't realize is like if if you really want to have these goals like you do to impact you know after school programs with children here, here in LA to impact cystic fibrosis to you know we have the same thing like we we have similar goals within our family to to uh, create impact in the causes that we're passionate about. And it's, it's just, that's, that's why it's not enough. That's why more money matters because you can actually start to make a real difference in, in these types of programs and at, at a very high level. So, um, super cool. I love that. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. That that's great. Um, I feel like you've been an open book, so this is a harder question, but is there something about yourself that isn't common knowledge uh, that you could share with the the um, listeners just to let them know you know you a little bit better? Special this, skill or a hobby, anything like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> I have a really bizarre knack for knowing 1990s rap lyrics. I don't understand why. It makes no sense. This middle-aged suburban white lady, what is happening? <laughs> I don't know what it did. My husband just is, oh, I'm bright red because it's just so weird. There must have been something about my brain at high school time with music that was around that the lyrics just are in my head. I can't remember where my keys are to go out to, you know, lunch, but somehow <laughs> these, these lyrics. So if you ever take me out to karaoke, I don't need to read anything. I can just say it from memory and it's really awkward and uncomfortable because I'm a middle-aged white lady from suburbia this actually sounds amazing <laughs> definitely would like to go to karaoke with you i don't even think i like karaoke but that sounds amazing <laughs> uh, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you uh what's the best way sure so as you mentioned i'm super active on linkedin if you can remember how to spell my last name or maybe jason can put it in the show notes we'll put it in the show notes uh, for sure you. you can yeah. find me on linkedin i try to add tons of value every day with daily posts 
And then we have a free educational webinar, as I mentioned earlier, at Silvis Capital backslash webinar. So silviscapital.com backslash webinar, where you can learn just the, the fundamentals of syndication investing and some of the benefits it can offer to you as an investor. Yeah. And we'll we'll put we'll put all that in show notes too so people can can find you. But but I can personally attest uh that you are very accessible on LinkedIn. So um that's a good good place to start. Final question for you, Amy. What piece of advice would you give to someone who is getting started in real estate? They want to follow in your footsteps, they have they have an interest, they um what what would you tell them to get them going? So if they're looking to be active investors, find a team. This is a team sport. It was something that I was really stubborn about. I wanted to do it, get it done. I didn't realize how even the biggest names you've heard in this space have teams behind them, have teams that they work with, and you can go further faster with a team for sure. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And I, and I uh, have... I've long been a DIY person myself and and making that shift to realizing the importance of teams and partnerships and all of that is is uh it's it's been important in this particular space but it's also really kind of an important life lesson I think to to realize how how important you know sort of your team is around you. So yes. um well this has been amazing as I anticipated. Thank you so much Amy. I really do appreciate you coming on the show, taking the time out today. Um it, it, going to be going to be a ton of value for listeners. I, I do appreciate it very much. Oh my gosh, this was so much fun. You're very talented at what you do. Thank you for the honor of being on here and hopefully we'll grab some coffee, Dave,r one day soon. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and folks listening, I know you're going to love this episode. I know you're going to get a lot of value out of it. Please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more guests like Amy. Um, and thank you all for listening. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.